From KUAR in Little Rock, I'm Phil Marriage, and this is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Now in our 18th year on the air, and we're still the only program on radio today that's dedicated to the preservation of comparative generational thought. As it relates to cancer, radiation therapy has very different meanings to our oldest, to our youngest members of our audience. And we've come a long way in using this therapy. That's our focus today with my guests, all from UAMS, Dr. Lovard Peacock. We like to think that people need to realize that radiation is an integral part of modern cancer care. Dr. Finn Shaw. We use the invisible knife to cut the cancer out in a way instead of a surgeon use a real knife. And Dr. Sanjay Maraboina. UAMS is unique. We're one of the only institutions that actively participates in clinical trials. We just recently opened up a prostate cancer trial looking at a shorter course of radiation, getting it down to five treatments. We have a lot to learn today, so stay with us. We'll be right back right after the news. Hi, everyone. I'm Phil Marriage, and this is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. Radiation therapy is our topic today, and for our oldest among us, even the word radiation as it relates to cancer treatment brings memories heavy with fear and pain. In those early days, so much was not known about cancer treatment and radiation was only one of a few effective methods. So much has changed over time, and our youngest generations don't have that knee-jerk response that we in the older generation did, and that's very good. My guests today, all from UAMS, one of the premier cancer research treatment facilities in all of the nation. We've had several programs with UAMS um, medical topics, and uh, UAMS has a lot to be proud of. Speaking for my older generation is Dr. Lovard Peacock. He's a physician in the UAMS Department of Radiation Oncology. Dr. Peacock received his medical degree in UAMS. He completed an internship in general medicine and a residency in internal medicine at UAMS, and Dr. Peacock is board certified in internal medicine and radiology. He has also served on several boards, including on the board of directors for the American Cancer Society and the Northeast Area Director. Dr. Peacock, glad to have you here. Thank you for inviting us. And then speaking from that middle generation perspective is Dr. Finn Shaw. Dr. Shaw is a radiation oncologist specializing in tumors of central nervous system. She serves as residency director, professor, and chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology at UMS and head of a research lab at the Winthrop P. Rockefeller Cancer Center. In her lab, Dr. Shaw conducts federally funded research focused on the replication stress response and on damage repair mechanisms in normal and tumor cells after radiation therapy or chemotherapy. And then speaking from the younger generation perspective is Dr. Sanjay Maraboina. Dr. Maraboina is a radiation oncologist and assistant professor at UAMS. His clinical areas of interest include cancers of the lung, prostate, and bone and soft tissue. He's board certified in radiation oncology by the American Board of Radiology, and he's a member of the American Society for radiation oncology. I know this is a topic that many of you listening may have some experience from a family member, or you may not know a lot about it, but you may find some point in your life where this may be a term or a study or a topic that may enter your life, and you might want to come back to in your memory from some of the things we're talking about today. But Dr. Lovard Peacock, I'd like to begin with you from, if you can, kind of give, give us a little bit of a historical basis for what I remember as a boy, anyway, when I heard the word uh, radiation therapy. For many people, it's still frightening because they have the uh, view of what we used to see when we used to have machines that didn't deliver uh, dose very deeply into tissue. 
so that mainly the skin got a large dose, and of course everyone can see your skin, and they would be blistered and sunburned and that sort of thing. But radiation oncology didn't come about by any just accident. It was founded by people in the last of the 18th century whenever Wilhelm Conrad Röntgen discovered the Röntgen ray and found out that this was a penetrating ray that had some curative powers. And then Madame Curie a year later discovered radium and found out that that also was able to kill cells. And almost immediately after that, within a year from both of those times, there were different ways that either a plaque of radium was placed on skin tumors or a Crookes tube, which generated x-rays. Those were the original uh, type of generators that we used to make films of bone and that sort of thing. So early on, they started using that because before, all we had was surgery. And if you had to have surgery of the larynx, it was not only disfiguring, but it produced dysfunction because you didn't have a voice box anymore. And, you know, a, a problem with your hand or your arm, you'd lose the hand or the arm by the surgery. And so radiation was quickly moved from the laboratory into the clinic. And uh, it became, over time, a powerful tool, and it still is, and gaining even more uh, power as we use it in the combination of therapies with surgery, chemotherapy, now immunotherapy, and all the new modalities. And we work in that same condition. We either treat along with chemotherapy after surgery, before surgery, to try to change the tumor characteristics. But uh, radiation is usually always used in, uh, in a curative mode in that sort of situation. And we use radiation for palliative treatment for folks that have bleeding, loss of patency of a tube, such as the windpipe where you have obstructive disease or you have obstruction in the bowel, then you could use radiation to palliate or open up that patent tube or that closed tube to become patent so it was opened again. Not only that, but you could treat bleeding and you can also treat pain. It's a very effective way to treat pain. Short course of radiation therapy can sometimes totally eliminate pain. It's cost effective and it's very simple for the patient to tolerate because we don't have the kind of side effects that we used to have because of the change in energy of the beam that we use. You mentioned that in those early days, this machine, how wild was that machine compared to what we, what we see now? It must have been a bunch of garbage cans put together more or less, right? Well, it was initially the, the Crooks tube because that was the way they generated the things. But then about the time that radar became really a, something that could be used the people that were dealing with radar also were using something called a linear accelerator, and they produced a linear accelerator, and that really changed everything because before that time, we used very low-energy machines because they couldn't generate a very high-energy uh, beam, and also they used a lot of uh, cobalt-60 machines, and it was produced from an element. So in those early days, it was not a case of putting a piece of something radioactive on you? No. It was always a ray? It was sometimes used as a plaque, so it was placed on you, but most of the time it was used as the source of that radiation. So they would basically have it in what we call a pig, which is a lead-lined area, that they would just basically open the door and the radiation would come out of that and then they'd close it back up. Uh -huh. so the, the, so, but also, you know, we use radiation that can be implanted 
into tumors. So that person would be radioactive for a little while. Mm-hmm. Usually the, the way the thing is done, it's not a real problem for anyone else. And it's not a problem for the patient, but uh, for a while you have to be careful if someone sits in your lap, like if you had a prostate. Was there a lot of pain in those early days for for the patient? Well, not from just the treatment, but, uh, you know, typically the side effects, uh, sunburns are painful. And that's what this is like. We call it radiation dermatitis, but it's like a sunburn. Mm -hmm. It's an inflammatory reaction to the radiation. And uh, that can be painful. But also if you treat over the stomach or over the liver, you can have nausea. You can have vomiting. If you treat over the bowel, you can have diarrhea. If you treat over the bladder, you can have painful urination. But most of those things can be handled with medication. Yeah. And we do that you know, constantly when we take care of patients. And what decade would we, we say we moved into a modern era? I mean, well, the first linear accelerator was <clears throat> used in the 50s. It was uh, used at Stanford University. So prior to the 50s, it was kind of uh, learned by the seat of your pants kind of thing? It was more use of the cobalt energies, or uh, lower energies, not in the million volts, but in the thousand volts. Did doctors know what they were doing then when it came to radiation therapy, or were they... Well, how did well it's it... interesting, because radiation was one of the few things that came not out of the laboratory, but, I mean, people found out that this had a, an effect against uh, cancer cells, and so they were using it in all sorts of ways. We found out that, you know, one of the early uh, persons that discovered and used the radiation becquerel he was carrying a radioactive source in his shirt pocket and he found out that you know when he had that in there he began to get redness itching and burning and the next thing he knew it blistered and then when he kept doing that there was an ulcer formed because the radiation was killing the cells and the soft tissue in that area so they found out that if you treat to what we call an erythema dose, in other words, your skin gets red, then you stop, and then you give some radiation later. But those were all things that were all empirical. They had, you know, the lab models were not set up at that time because it was such a desperate time because there was only one way to treat it would be surgery. How much radioactive or radiation therapy was even available up to, say, the 50s? It was in major centers, but, you know, like in the United States, uh, Michigan, Sloan Memorial Kettering Hospital uh, Memorial, we call it, uh, had the machines. And then on the West Coast, there were machines. But there were a few people uh, that were around that were noted to be the fathers in the field, Lampke and people like that, that uh, were using this radiation early on. They were all, quote, radiologists, basically. But they began to specialize only in treating cancer. And they were the true pioneers. Mm-hmm. They found out all these things. In major centers like Karolinski uh, in Europe and the Royal Marsden in uh, uh, England, those hospitals were noted for their cancer care. And uh, they basically had the, the, the folks that knew the most about it. And people began to learn from the school of so-and-so and mm-hmm. the, uh, the, you know, the leadership of those people. And they began to have different ways that they were treated, whether the Manchester system or the French system, you know, Paris, and that sort of thing. Those were the true pioneers, and Mm -hmm. they were actually trying to figure out how all this stuff worked together. Now it's much more of a science than Mm -hmm. than that because we now know that we can give certain amounts to produce this effect, certain amounts to produce that effect. And we've also discovered that the better we can target the radiation, and as we've had finer and finer equipment— the better you can target the, the tumor, 
If you treat just the tumor and don't treat the surrounding tissue, then you can obviously cure cancer and not have any side effects. Problem is, we do have normal tissue side effects because the tumor sits in a body that has normal tissue. But we're much better about being accurate than we were in the past. When uh, I'm 69, and when I was uh, a, a boy, and I'm talking maybe about under 10 years old, one of my aunts had, I think it was breast cancer, probably. And I don't think she had radiation therapy because it was a small community. But there, I guess it, older people at then, she was older then too, there wasn't really much they could do for her. Even then, I would suppose, it seemed like it was an awfully painful uh, oh, yeah. experience. And these breast tumors were discovered late uh, when they, you know, the radical mastectomy was discovered in the 1920s and that became the standard of care. So basically everyone had a radical mastectomy and that was itself a, a problem because not only was the breast removed but the soft tissues, they scraped mm -hmm. down to the bone, they took a, a, a skin transplant and brought it up and put it over the wound and folks had swollen arms because all the lymph nodes were removed. That's my aunt. Yeah. That was my aunt. Yeah. And, in fact, and they even put her in the back room of the house, more or less, to die because I guess there must have been some psychological aspects to it, too, that uh, she didn't want to come out in, in public sure, or whatever. Sure, Terrible was, time. Yes, sure was. You're listening to Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, and our focus today on the program is radiation therapy with my guests, Dr. Lovard Peacock, Dr. Finn Shaw, and Dr. Sanjay Maraboina. We'll be right back. We're back. Uh, I'm Phil Marriage, and this is Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow, talking about radiation therapy with my guest, Dr. Lovard Peacock. We heard in our first segment. We're going to move forward now a little bit into that middle generation perspective with Dr. Finn Shaw. She's also a radiation oncologist specializing in tumors of the central nervous system, and she serves as the residency director and professor and chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology here at UAMS. Dr. Finshaw, I do want to bring you into the discussion now, and, and we, we listened to Dr. Peacock about those much earlier days with it. Tell me a little bit about the training you might have had and what other doctors have had from that earlier period. Where has it come from there? The training we had, uh, I, is, I get my resident training in 2002 to 2006 uh, at Vanderbilt. So by that time, fortunately, you know, radiation treatment, um, no matter technic te uh, technology-wise, and and the, what we have learned uh, from the past to treat re use radiation to treat patient has been helped us with the what we learned and also technology improvement. We have been doing much better. Uh, in addition, we also learned about the biology of the tumor. So all those helped us uh, in terms uh, overall cancer treatment. So radiation treatment of cancer uh, nowadays, actually, even at uh, from my resident training, uh, is already completely. I would say it's a completely different period of. Uh, how we manage cancer treatment uh, compared to uh, in those early days, like 50s or even earlier. And currently, radiation treatment is a certainly a, a critical uh, integrated component of cancer treatment, include the surgery and the chemotherapy as well. And uh, nowadays, we treat um, more than 50% of cancer patients will get radiation treatment with or without surgery or chemotherapy. How many people do you see a month or a week, or how would you break it down for population that, that comes in for radiation therapy? 
at UMS. Yeah, at just, UMS yeah. Radiation Oncology, we treat patient every day in average about 60 to 70s. Wow. Um, and for uh, over a year, we probably every year we're treating around 800 patients a year. Eight, and they, they come in over the course of the year, the same 800 at different times? Uh, yes. So you in, in, in average, patient get radiation treatment is about uh, from four to six weeks in average. And some patients, uh, for example, prostate cancer patient, they can have probably up to seven weeks treatment if they get we call it external radiation treatment treatment. Or, for example, if patients have a metastatic tumor in the brain, they might get only one treatment. So, however, um, in average, most commonly we're seeing is a four to six weeks treatment every day, Monday through Friday, weekend, they have a break. Well, okay, I don't know anything at all about cancer. I've really been fortunate in my own family not to have had to deal a lot with it. But I'm wondering if, if you find out you have cancer, do you go through radiation therapy first, or do you go through chemotherapy? How do you start with cancer treatment? Uh, that's a very good question. So it's really a learning process, actually, from those uh, several decades. And it's really depend on what type of cancer you have. And so also we find that the cancer being diagnosed in early stage or versus advanced stage. So uh, the three type of treatment, that's surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy, they have different kind of a combination and a sequence as well. For example, in very early stage, if it's breast cancer, uh, sur- surgery certainly is the first treatment and followed by radiation and chemotherapy. And in some case, however, for example, uh, you have if you have larynx cancer, and nowadays um, specifically in radiation treatment is the first uh, surgery is no longer being the first choice for larynx cancer. That's really because we learned and compare surgery versus radiation treatment. They have in terms of uh, patient survival, control the cancer have a similar rate. However, you know surgery. Surgery itself brought a lot of morbidity, and radiation treatment can preserve the larynx, so the patient quality of life is much more improved. So, Dr. Peacock, you were talking about in the early days, they just cut it out. Right. Yeah, you lost your voice box. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it, we didn't have the you know, artificial larynx and yeah. things like that in yeah. those days, so it yeah. was really devastating for, for people. Think if you lost your voice. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe some people think that it may not well, be so okay. bad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Shaw, when you're dealing with somebody who first comes into the office, I are you guys the first ones who talk to people with cancer, or I'm just kind of wondering if I have cancer, where do I go? Do I go to uh, an oncologist and they direct me to you or chemotherapy? Is that how it works? In most the case, when cancer first being diagnosed, the first person um, maybe is there, um, is that goes to surgeon because the first thing we want to diagnose the cancer is really we try to see whether it is a cancer or not. Um, so surgery uh, to take a, either entire tumor out or to take some tissue, a part of the tumor out mm-hmm. to make sure this is truly a cancer, what type of cancer got the tissue that confirmed, so this is the first thing we do. Will my primary care physician see or detect something that would cause that person to direct 
or, or uh, refer to you guys? Is that is that the primary way it happens? Is a primary care physician first? Yeah, depending on the type of cancer, uh, most of the primary care doctors are doing some time some type of active screening for colon cancer, colorectal cancer, cervical cancer, lung cancer. So they may be ordering a CT scan and detect a lung nodule, and then subsequently the patient would be referred for a biopsy. And then once the cancer diagnosis is established, the patient would be referred to an oncologist. Uh And we've gotten much better at screening because now we know that women of a certain age are more likely to have tumors, so they enter into a regular screening program where they're found, you know, it's a silent cancer. The, you know, it doesn't usually cause pain or anything else. Now you can't have a mask and you can't, you know, have nipple discharge and that sort of thing. But the screening is what picks it up earlier. And just like Sanjay was saying that, you know, we can, we can screen people for colon cancer and things like that. These silent tumors are the ones we try to pick up earlier on by screening because they can become quite large. They usually don't produce pain or produce any problem. Well, what kind of cancer is that not-so-silent cancer? I think there's no silent cancer. It really depends on how small, how early you can find okay. them. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think, for example, breast cervical cancer are two very good examples because we have a way to screening, use a mammogram. We screen all women age older than 40 years old. And for cervical cancer, they can do pap smear. And uh, uh, so those two um, uh, way of screen, screening have really uh, increased our chance to de- detect the cancer at a very early stage. Therefore, then the chance to cure the uh, cancer is significantly improved. Uh, these two are very good example for early diagnosis. Once they be, uh, grow into a certain size, when interfere the function causing symptoms, uh, that's you can t- call it non-silent anymore. Mm-hmm. It's really uh, depend on where they locate. If they're located in a really critical area, even small, they can block your um, bowel duct. Uh, block you, for example, a pressure on a nerve can interfere your vision, and then you may detect it very early, but it's not, tumor still very small, but it's not silent. And your primary care physician may be the one who says, you got to have that looked at. Right. You go in with having pain in your eye, Mm -hmm. or you go in having blood in your stool, and they'll Mm -hmm. check that, Mm -hmm. and yes, it is blood. We need to send you for colonoscopy. Well, Dr. Sanjay Marabuena, young people, uh, I've known a couple people, and they both were male, and they had testicular cancer, and they were young. They were college-age guys. Um, talk to me a little bit about the age groups that come in. Are, are you seeing younger people, or do, are young people even more aware of cancer now than, say, when uh, Dr. Beacock was uh, talking about that earlier time? Cancer can affect uh, all ages. Um, we see patients, uh, the pediatric populations from Arkansas Children's Hospital, and we see elderly patients, so it's across all ages. Um, to answer your question about the testicular seminoma, uh, that's a common, n- not a very common, but it can happen in the age groups between 20 and 30 uh, adult males, and um, that's typically treated uh, with surgery uh, followed by some kind of treatment afterwards, whether that be radiation or uh, chemotherapy. Okay, let me ask you this. Um, and we've all heard the stories about breast cancer where women, uh, I guess, look for lumps. What do guys do to find testicular cancer? Or, well, or, you, you, 
examine your testicle and see if you have a lump. And what are you what are you looking for in the way of a lump? Well, it's an irregularity or painful area that you palpate. But I have my you know patients if if they're in the shower you know examine your testicles, make sure that there are no lumps or any, uh, anything that's unusual mm-hmm. or it was different last month that sort of thing. Right. I, as a you know as I would. This it's not like uh, uh, for example breast cancer breast in uh, women um, no matter uh, so uh, in, in in women and a self exam on breast um, is a highly recommended. Um, what about ovarian? Do you know any? If you're you don't know anything. Ovarian about is is really at the other end of type of tumor is really can be silent for a long time because the location of ovarian in that cavity of the of your uh, pelvis is have so much room for the for this tumor getting so big still it not patient is not feel anything and also currently there's no um, effective way be able to detect uh, through either imaging or physical exam for patient if you palpate your abdomen your pelvis you it's very hard to palpate a mass so so ovarian cancer is another, and it's very hard to uh, to, to to examine by yourself, and also very hard uh, to uh, to to detect even by physician. Is there a type of cancer that radiation therapy is most effective on, or and also least effective on? Either one, any of you? Yes, we you know we have a number of tumors that are more quote radio resistant. That doesn't mean that they can't be eradicated by radiation, but they're more resistant. They take a higher dose, therefore you have more normal tissue damage, the whole point of all that. But um, almost all of them do respond. Uh, it depends on the dosages. What, what, are, what are some that really don't respond? Well, we have, I think we used to talk about melanomas as not really responding well to radiation and that they were more radio-resistant, but we know that they do respond, but it's the dose that can be delivered, and that's one of the limiting things. The tumor will t- still respond, but you can't treat to such a high dose because it might be next to normal tissue that would be a mm-hmm. problem to lose that tissue. Well, Dr. Shaw, when, uh, Dr. Peacock was talking early on about how they focused, I guess, the early machines and, and then kind of talked a little bit about where we've come. What do you do now if I come in and I've, it's my first time to have radiation therapy and you're going to do something to my chest? What are you doing? What are you going to do? So um, that's, for example, if you have a lung cancer, and mm-hmm. then you will have to treat the chest. Uh, what do we do is for patient to come seeing to a radiation oncology clinic and we first discuss with patient about the how radiation treatment is going to provide what type of uh, tumor control. And uh, so we discussed, you know, the, the, that's the benefit of control the tumor uh, to cure, uh, increase the cure rate, and also what kind of side effect is involved during radiation treatment. The treatment, of course, is, uh, you know, how long and every day would the patient go through. After this discussion, and uh, then the real radiation treatment, before radiation treatment can occur, we really need to um, firstly, be- firstly have a measurement 
for the patient at the treatment position and to immobilize the body, the body part we're trying to treat. And then we have an imaging scan of the patient. We call it uh, radiation simulation. So after that, uh, the radiation oncologist will work with uh, physicist and the dosimetrist to really to uh, design a, a radiation treatment plan. The, uh, the, the, the goal of that radiation treatment plan is really try um, fit some criteria. With the criteria is going to be not missing the tumor, try to spare the normal structure, normal tissue. Therefore, we can kill the cancer, but not kill the normal tissue. So once the treatment plan is done, is uh, satisfied with this criteria, and we have patients start treatment. How long does the treatment take? If, I mean, is it for five each minutes? For each treatment session, the radiation beam is on, it can be five to 10 minutes. Oh, really, that long? It's not like when you go to the dentist, or yeah, the dentist, and they go bing, bing, and you're done? Some so, of our treatments are quite long. Yeah, some of our complex uh, treatments could take up to 30 minutes. Really? Uh, because you're using many different angles of, of, of beams, uh, um, and so that, that could take some time. Does the machine move around, or yes. is that what yes. it is? Yes. Nowadays, um, that's the most common radiation treatment. We call it um, um, in intensity modulated radiation therapy. This technique basically allows us can really, we use radiation almost like we use, a, we hold a pen, painting the radiation to the tumor, how much we need to give the, to the tumor, and then how much we, we need to curve out to save the normal, for example, uh, your heart, or save your esophagus, or save your, um, um, the lung tissue, so therefore we can, so use this type of technology, we really can, um, almost, you almost can see that we can bend the beam, bend the ray of radiation to let it to uh, conform, like um, exactly fit the shape of the tumor and really uh, curves out the normal tissue around it. In this way, we really can reduce the toxicity and giving more dose to the tumor, therefore increase the therapeutic um, Does the patient feel any of this? During radiation treatment uh, on each session, uh, patient won't feel any pain or, or any uh, burning. And it, the feeling is just like you, you're lying on the uh, CT table if you take a CT scan, or if you're standing there have a chest, chest x-ray. During the treatment, that's how patients feel. What about after the treatment? Yeah, so, so during the treatment, radiation is painless, but afterwards, uh, because of the way radiation is delivered on a daily basis and kind of a protracted regimen, uh, it usually takes uh, several weeks for the patients to develop side effects, acute side effects from the radiation treatment. Not right away. Right. The, oh, skin, the skin that takes you know, 10 days to two weeks before you begin to have oh, the okay. changes in the skin. Now, is that a change from the past? Uh, and, I'm, again, I'm going back to some of the people I've known. It seemed like when they had radiation, it was like almost in within a day or two, they're, they're feeling hot or burned or whatever. So the it, it is somewhat different than, mm -hmm. than what used to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, if you treat over the gastrum, over your stomach, and you'll get nausea from that. Oh. And that's going to be happening right off the bat. And we can tell people that, you know, diarrhea may not start for two weeks, but you know, if we treat you over your tummy, you can have nausea right off the bat. 
Also, the esophagus and the head and neck area are extremely sensitive to radiation because mm-hmm. they're rapidly dividing cells. You know, you bite your tongue, it bleeds for a little bit, and then the next yeah. day, it doesn't hurt at all because it's already healed up. Yeah. Those parts of your body, the tongue, the head and neck area, your esophagus and down to your tummy, they're all rapidly replicating. Therefore, they're extremely sensitive to radiation. So you'll be sicker from radiation given to the tummy than you would be given out on your arm for yeah. skin cancer. Yeah. Um, so th- those acute effects, though, during radiation treatment, no matter what happened, um, you know, uh, for example, the same day you treat the stomach or the skin after one week, uh, those acute radiation treatment cause the symptoms or problem. Most of them can recover within one or two weeks after radiation treatment. Mm-hmm. We have one last break to take, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow here in KUER in Little Rock. I'm Phil Marriage, and our focus today on the program is radiation therapy with my guests, Dr. Lovard Peacock, Dr. Finn Shaw, and Dr. Sanjay Marabavina. Dr. Marabavina, I want to come back to something we said just prior to the break. Dr. Shaw was talking about the administration of the radiation therapy, and it sounds to me like that you almost have a little deal that you would do, a pencil that you put on a computer and control is that right? Yeah, not really. So uh, <laughs> good. So, <laughs> so as Dr. Shaw was explaining at the time of radiation simulation, we obtain an image, and so we sit down with our dosimetrist and basically sit on the computer and outline the tumor using computerized uh, in treatment three, planning. In three D. In three D. Yeah, we have a three D oh. image. Dr. Peacock can tell you about how he used to do it when he was in training, probably using a crayon or a colored pencil <laughs> and using yeah. a, an X ray. But uh, our technology has advanced. Uh, where we are able to use computers and we have a better picture of of what the tumor looks like. And we can obtain an MRI, we can obtain a PET scan, which gives us more information about the cancer and we can fuse it to our radiation treatment plan. Mm Talk to me a little bit more about where technology is going. What, what does the future look like for the technology? Is it going to change so much so from uh, the 50s to what it is now and going into the future? Is there stuff out there in the future you guys are seeing? Fortunately, the, uh, the pace of radiation uh, advancements is very fast. We are finding that uh, we're able to deliver higher doses of radiation in shorter amounts of time. Uh, that type of therapy is called stereotactic ablative radiation therapy, or uh, SBRT. As Dr. Shaw was explaining uh, previously, we are able to deliver very high doses of radiation uh, to single lesions in the brain, for, for example, treatment of brain metastasis and avoid the normal structures in the brain. The trend is, uh, in in many types of of cancer, uh, instead of six to eight weeks of course, we can get it done in half the amount of time with equal efficacy. You mentioned brain, and that's one of the ones that came to my mind as far as talking about radiation therapy. I've known a few people who've had tumors in the brain, and is radiation uh, one of the things or that the major thing that you use for working on the brain cancer, or is, is it in conjunction with chemotherapy? Yes. In specifically, radiation works alone. Without chemotherapy, we use, like, uh, like Dr. Maribowani just uh, mentioned, we call it a stereotactical radiosurgery. We can really uh, very confine and pre- 
very precisely in millimeter error range, we can deliver very high dose radiation in one shot, really kill the tumor cells. We call it ablation of the tumor. So that's all, why it's also called a stereotactic radiosurgery. So in this type of case, in most metastatic brain tumor, we do not need chemotherapy to help. And actually, in clinical trials so far, uh, in most cases, chemotherapy not uh, provide further help to adding to on top of stereotactic radiosurgery, or you know radiation uh, treat brain metastatic brain tumor. So that's in most cases. So brain cancer is mainly going to be treated with with radiation. That's for metastatic brain tumor. However, there's another type of brain tumor like a glioblastoma. Uh, you probably have heard several, um, uh, like a, um, Senator uh, Senator Ted Kennedy and uh-huh. and uh, uh, John McCain. John McCain. They both had this type of uh, glioblastoma. This is, we call this tumor. They not metastatic to the brain. They originally come from the, uh, growing originally from the brain cell. So this type of tumor we definitely see a very helpful radiation combined chemotherapy after surgery can take the tumor out as much as possible safely, then radiation comes in with help of chemotherapy can improve the survival or cure rate. This is in the brain. You're it's going in to the brain. The primary it's brain in the brain. Tumors. For the primary brain tumor, that means there's two types of brain tumor. One is originally growing in the brain, or your lung cancer, the tumor So metastatic brain tumor we treat with radiation works very well. Don't need chemotherapy so far in majority of cases. But the type that Senator McCain has started in his brain? Yes. So that type of uh, primary brain tumor, usually patient goes through surgical resection first, followed by radiation concurrent the same time with chemotherapy. And then the clinical study has shown a significant improvement by adding this chemotherapy we call temozolomide with radiation in six weeks of treatment, and it significantly improves the survival. But these are very malignant tumors that, that we're yeah. talking about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. They're very malignant. And so the, your, your radiation is going to be a very severe kind or a very strong kind? No. Not very strong. The radiation is the same. So radiation, um, in this case, they deliver to the, we not deliver to the entire brain. Just a little spot. Still really focus yeah. on the tumor. Or, for example, where tumor has invaded only mm-hmm. those parts. Let's get back to the this area of side effects. We've kind of talked a little bit about that. You're, are you going to experience side effects with any and every type of radiation therapy? The side effects related to radiation are, are dependent on what part of the body we're treating. Uh, so with external beam radiation, where the radiation source is coming from a linear accelerator and the radiation is coming from outside the body, uh, for example, if you're treating the head and neck, you're going to get what we call mucositis, irritation of the lining of the mouth. You're going to get dry mouth. Um, and if you're treating the abdomen, you're going to get nausea and vomiting. The other type of radiation is called brachytherapy. And in that situation, you're applying the radiation source into a cavity. So, for example, in cervical cancer, uh, which Dr. Peacock has a lot of experience in, we apply the radiation into the cervix. So you're able to spare the radiation going to the nearby structures. But if you had, you know, if you had radiation to your tummy, 
that's going to make you sick. Mm-hmm. But if you have radiation to your arms, say, because you have a, a melanoma there and you're going to uh-huh. treat that area, you might get some sunburn-like areas, and you might get a little stiffness in your joints there because of the swelling. But otherwise, there's really no, really not much systemic effect from that. It's just a localized thing, just from the skin. To summarize, basically, radiation is really whether it causes side effect, no matter it's acute side effect or permanent injury, is really depend on how much touch the dermal tissue and also and the volume of normal tissue being involved in radiation treatment. Those two are the determining fact. If you give enough higher dose and you treat so much volume of the tissue, and the chance for, for injury to occur is always happen. Mm-hmm. However, what kind of side effect it presented to the patient, what kind of problem they have, is really depend on where we treat. Is radiation therapy, can it be considered curative in some pl- some cases? Oh, yes. Well, you, you We've treat, we call it definitive or uh, curative therapy, and we do that huge part of our, our treatment. Now, people can fail, but we also can cure people with radiation, sometimes with radiation alone. Really? Yes. Like with the larynx. I would mm-hmm. say um, a good example. it's, uh, for example, in early, early stage breast cancer, uh, even testicular cancer, prostate, prostate cancer. cancer. Mm-hmm. Those are very, uh, head neck cancer, those are very good example. Radiation works um, together with the chemotherapy and the surgery. We have a very high good chance of cure those cancers. It seems like the, the prostate cancer is one of those sneaky ones that uh, doesn't get disco- discovered till later on. And is radiation therapy different? Um, for prostate cancer, uh, fortunately, there is a screening test for it. It's called the PSA, uh, in addition to digital rectal exam. So we can catch it at an early phase. Early stage prostate cancer, radiation therapy can be used as curative intent. If um, the prostate if it's is a cancer still in, confined within the prostate gland, that's very early. That's very early, okay. And is that, uh, again... Or just a small area in the prostate, you know, that's, that's involved. Uh-huh. Uh, that's when we're talking about curative therapy, whether you have surgery or whether you have radiation treatments. Radiation therapy can be used to treat prostate cancer as long as it has not spread to, to the bones. Even when it's spread to the bone, radiation in very often cases also used for palliation if the uh, tumor in the bone causing pain, causing uh-huh. fracture. It's very, very effective, effective against painful bone mm-hmm. mets. Yeah, well, as the prostate cancer uh, advances, your the patient will become symptomatic. So uh, it's very rare that uh, it would get to a very oh, large okay, size okay. and the patient would urination those kind correct. of yeah. correct things. So, yeah, yeah, there would be some rectal decrease pain. in stream and you know mm-hmm. that, that sorts mm-hmm. of things. Uh, is there something about this topic that, that it was on your minds coming into it? Something we haven't talked about that, that we really should talk about for radiation therapy. We like to think that people need to realize that radiation is an integral part of modern cancer care. And that with the, and uh, you've heard us talk about all the golly gee whiz new technology. I mean, back in the day when I was initially trained, you know, we had missing tissue compensators and we made it out of lead and we put it on the patient so that we wouldn't have a big problem with giving too high a dose to an area so we could even out that dose. Now we do it electronically. The little blocks slide in and out between the beam so that you don't have those inhomogeneities which we call them. So it's, it's really, it's, it's a very unique way to, you know, deliver a healing beam to a tumor, and it works. Is radiation therapy used for anything besides cancer? 
in patients that uh, have trauma to the bone, they can develop uh, formation of bone outside of uh, into the muscles. And so uh, once that uh, that what we call heterotopic ossification is removed by surgery, we follow that with radiation in order to prevent that abnormal bone from forming. So there are other conditions uh, where we use radiation to treat benign disease. Uh, another example would be keloids. So that's a abnormal proliferation, proliferation of, of skin cells. Uh, and, and so the, the surgeon would, would remove it, and then we'd follow that with radiation to prevent that from... You're talking about skin... Well, yeah, not hyper, skin... It's hypertrophic scarring, you know, a large oh, mass of scar. Keloids. From like an accident that you've had a big right. scar on? Well, for example, or ladies some, that, some lady ear, have earrings, and instead of they have a little hole, they have a huge scar, yeah. like uh, can be a like yeah. a pea size or even mm -hmm. bigger. So. That's just big scar that called, we call it keloids. So we get that resected and then we irradiate that afterwards and it drops the recurrence rate to just almost zero. Hmm. And another very interesting example is uh, for we call it, uh, use radiation, stereotactical radio surgery to, try to treat the trigeminal pain. Uh, so what what's, that means is that? basically uh, some patient they have a really painful, painful uh, sensation can be stimulated by 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 light, by bite, by brush or teeth. Basically, you have this uh, uh, very intense shooting pain in your face area. So that's really uh, was believed is because the, there's a nerve we call the trigeminal nerve uh, related to causing this pain. Usually, the first treatment is going to be surgical. Uh, procedure to be done uh, to try to relieve the pain, but sometimes also, oh, sorry, medication also can use pain medication to try to relieve the pain. However, when both medical management and the surgical management failed, and then still take radio surgery, we really try to aiming at the root of trigeminal nerve, and that also can have pretty um, uh, worked successfully to control that pain uh, on the face of a patient. Yeah, and, and these patients are significantly ill. Radiation <laughs> also actually has been used not, uh, not very frequently to treat the movement disorder. In the past, it was used for acne. Yeah. It really? Uh, oh, it yeah. was, and uh, certain fungal infections of the Arthritis. Of the it was used for arthritis. Really? Wow. It was used for fungal infections. As Effect effectively? Not no. in the, I, I think it the, worked, but uh, the, the risk of cancer because you're exposed but, to radiation. Yeah. And well, also it, better medication comes yeah. up. Yeah, it, it worked because it was inflammatory and it helped that with that, but it didn't take care of the initial problem. What kind of career is radio radiation oncology? Ra yeah. It's a great one. It's I, you know, I was doing uh, internal so, medicine and I uh, just realized that, you know, there were folks out there that were do, doing the radiation oncology that I just found exciting because it's the place where, you know, science and physics and math and everything sort of really hits the clinic. And you can take all this stuff, these golly gee whiz, look at this big machine and turn it into something that really helps people. Mm -hmm. I feel very fortunate I can um, be uh, working as a radiation oncologist, and, you know, to really help cancer patients. In a way, really, you know, uh, as Dr. Peacock said, you know, really it's very high-tech. We have to integrate uh, um, very uh, 
very uh, different technology. And also, I always feel we are the one use the knife, use the invisible knife to cut to, to cut the cancer out in a in a way. Instead of a surgeon uh, use a real knife, we use the invisible X ray as a knife. For example, when I treating a brain metastatic tumor, you use serotactic radio surgery. The knife you cannot see it. You didn't see blood, but I have the same effect as uh, almost as a surgery to ablate that tumor. So I, I say, I always have my surgery done back and forth many times, tried many times on the computer until I feel I'm very happy with what I do. That's really doing the surgery. Yeah. How many specialists are going to sit around over a cup of coffee and talk about dose painting? But yeah. that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. So you actually practice on the computer before yes. you do the patient yes. until you get it right. Yes. So, so it's, it's been a, a you know, very rewarding. Uh, you re really develop a close relationship with your patients. Uh, they're going through a lot. They have cancer. And one of the unique things uh, about cancer is the multidisciplinary approach. So you have medical oncologists, you have a surgeon, and a radiation oncologist yeah. really working together as a team to cure the patient. Now, are you one doctor f for each patient, or do, do, does radiation uh, therapy involve a, a bunch of heads getting together to figure out what to do, or are you, are you on your own? A bunch of heads. The way we do it at UAMS, we're site-specific. I focus on lung cancer treatment and prostate cancer, so we really specialize in the areas that we treat. So the decision-making, how you overall manage a patient with cancer, is really a together decision between medical oncology, surgical oncology, and radiation oncology. In terms of doing particular radiation treatment, physician patient is the captain, then physician, and our physicist, and the nurse, dosimetrist, and the therapist, all together as a team. And of course, also patient a family, a caregiver. We're really working very closely in everyday treatment. You know, sometimes uh, in most cases, um, patient after you know, six weeks treatment is become such a, we're all attached and yeah. uh, it's, it's a very, very um, rewarding. Now, experience. UAMS is well known nationally for the work that you guys do in cancer research and all the things that you do. Are there other places people could go in Arkansas? or We're the only academic center in the state. I would say it's the only academic center with expert disease tumor site-specific multidisciplinary expert team uh, to treat cancer. So in in, if I live in city A, B, C, D, or around the state or whatever, and, and there's an oncologist in that city, how much can they do? Or do they refer to you guys, or is there stuff they do there? We see referrals from around the state. Around the state. And typically what we try to do is that if the patient has the need for straightforward treatment and they can be treated in their community, we typically will send them back. But any specialized treatment, we obviously would encourage them to be treated at mm -hmm. UAMS. And UAMS is unique because we're one of the only institutions that actively participates in clinical trials, something that the patient may not be able to get elsewhere in the state currently just recently opened up a prostate cancer trial looking at a shorter course of radiation, getting it down to five treatments. Patients in Arkansas are, are, are fortunate to, to have access to clinical trials. Mm -hmm. This is from seven weeks to five days. Wow. That would yeah, be wow. pretty cool. Yeah. I hope you've learned as much as I have about the changes in radiation therapy today. It's really been a great discussion. I, when we start th topics that I know nothing about, and I'm, a lot of times I get into them, but I really enjoy learning from you guys, and I, I hope our audience, as they've heard the program, at whatever level they may be or their family may be in, I hope you're 
encouraged to find out if you need to be involved with an oncologist in radiation therapy. I do want to thank my guests for being here with me today, Dr. Lovard Peacock. He's a physician here at UAMS Department of Radiation Oncology, Dr. Finn Shaw, and she's also a radiation oncologist specializing in tumors and central nervous in the central nervous system, and she serves as the residency director, professor, and chair of the Department of Radiation Oncology, and then also Dr. Sanjay Marabawina. I, I do want to thank you all, Dr. Peacock. Thanks Thank for being here, Dr. Shaw. It's a great pleasure. And Dr. Marabuina. Thank you for having me. You can download this program and many of our past programs from our KUAR.org site. Just click on Programs. Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow is produced for KUAR in partnership with the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month.